Do you find yourself saying you're too busy for Bible study? No more excuses! Now there's a way for you to participate in a 30-minute study from your phone, tablet, or computer from anywhere around the world. Aaron Olson of Sandalfeet Ministries teaches lunchtime lessons via Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com slash sandalfeet. This podcast is recorded during the Facebook Live event for those who'd like to listen to the teaching again or help out in case you miss a week. So grab your lunch, your Bible, and a notepad before we begin. If you'd like to get Aaron's teaching notes, you can visit sandalfeet.org and click on Books and Bible Studies to see all the available free Bible study material. Hey, thanks for listening today, and we hope you tune in each week for Lunchtime Lessons you to join me today. I was saying briefly a few seconds ago that uh, the first of anything is a little nerve-wracking and so um, I'm hopeful that today goes well and I'm hoping um, that all the technical issues get worked out and once we do this Facebook Live we'll spend the next 30 minutes together digging into God's Word. Um, It'll also be available on my ministry podcast so wherever podcasts are available you can tune into that at Sandalfeet Ministries. If you want to watch it again Um, I mean, listen to it again if you want to share it with friends. And also, all of my teaching notes that I go through today will be available on my website, sandalfeet.org. You can click on there, and I have lots of free resources on there for you to um, look over, some discipleship material, some Bible study material. And as I mentioned earlier, if you weren't on live with me, I mentioned that what I don't want this Bible study to be is an, an excuse to allow you to not be in community. I am a huge proponent of community. And if I could, I would have each and every one of you watching this right now in my home. So the closest I can get to you is in my living room. So I'm inviting you into my home. But um, what I want you to do is to not exclude yourself from community. So what I would encourage you to do is to invite some of your friends, some of your coworkers, some of your family members to tune into these Facebook Lives or listen to the podcast together. And then that way you could be going through the book of First Timothy with them as well. And you could be discussing it amongst yourselves. Um, and then you can do a communal Bible study that's a little bit different, but uh, similar. So I'm hopeful that with technology, it allows uh, me to use the gift of teaching that I have to, to um, provide you all with a Bible study wherever you might be. I know some of you I mentioned uh, might be working, can't get to a group Bible study. Some of you have sick children at home. Some of you might be caring for older adults. Um, Some of you might just not be able to have a church close by where it's teaching Bible study. We take for granted here in the United States, and I know that I have many friends around the world joining today, that it's not as easy for them to gather um, in Bible study where they live. It's dangerous, in fact. And so I commend you if you're watching today. Um, You are just the faithful warriors in this fight uh, for the gospel, and we appreciate all that you do in the countries where you live, and and my friends here in the United States, everything that you all do. And and just by being here today or listening later on the podcast, you are doing the Lord's work. You're digging into his word, and that's what he wants us to do. So my promise is that we're going to go through the book of 1 Timothy. And why did I choose 1 Timothy? And when I was thinking about the book of the Bible to go through, one, it's a relatively short book, so I'm just asking you all to commit to six weeks. Um, But it's also, it's an important book in the Bible. It's a letter that was written um, to an apostle, from an apostle to someone he was leaving in charge, but it's really written to all of us. Pastors, people who are leading people, really need to read this letter. And, And not only pastors and leaders, 
all of us, every single Christian needs to read this letter because it's important. It shows how the church should function and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, um, and what Paul thought was appropriate in his context, in his day and time. And so um, we should all know how the church works. It, this letter lays the groundwork for the church. And so it says in 1 Timothy 3.15, know how people ought to act in God's household. And you and I, all of us members of the body of Christ are members of God's household. And so um, we are the gathered people of God, right? As we worship and as we go out throughout our week, each and every day, not just when we gather within the four walls of the church or within a home, if you do home church, but we are the church seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year. So let me, it's, it's a weighty calling to be a follower of Christ, the church, it's a weighty calling and we need to take it serious. And, and we can't take for granted that everybody knows what the church is supposed to look like. Uh, many people are new converts, new believers watching this. Um, you might not understand all, all of the facets of being a Christ follower yet, but we do that by digging into God's word. So a little bit about the background of this letter. It's First uh, Timothy was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith. Now, Timothy had been led to Christ uh, through Paul's ministry, and then Timothy traveled with Paul for a long time. We'll learn about that in a while. And the source of it, uh, as the Word of God is inspired uh, to people, it's inspired, it is, um, the source of it is from God. This is information that God gave to Paul to write to Timothy so that we, this many years later, thousands of years later, can still know what it means to be the church, act the church, do church, all right? So it was written in the mid-60s AD. So Christ died in 33 AD, and then Paul came to, to know Jesus years later, and then he traveled and, and did lots of ministry, and he was one of the great church planners. He said some sources say that he planted maybe over 14 churches and perhaps even more. But because of his legacy, he did even more of an impact. So he was a huge church planter. Um, and the church, remember, in the mid-60s AD, the church was in its infancy. It was a baby. We have to remember that in this context. The church was still a baby. It was still learning how to walk and talk and, and eat on its own, all of those things. Um, so as we look through it through our modern eyes, through all the things that we know, let us not be so skeptical as to put blame on them as if, how could you not know? Because really they might not have known. And this was Paul's job at that time was to let them know. Um, so why did Paul write this letter to Timothy, right? Um, Paul had already given this verbal assignment to Timothy and now he was giving him this assignment in writing. Paul knew that there was a possibility that he might be delayed um, to get to Timothy, just because, you know, Paul had been arrested, he'd been imprisoned, um, he was on the, not the run, but he was on the go. And so uh, Paul knew there could have been a, a potential for him to be delayed. And so he had wrote this letter and he had it sent along to Timothy in case Paul himself physically couldn't get to him. Um, and so Paul in his final instructions to the elders, the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, 29 to 30, he had warned the church of these savage wolves that would enter the church and cause trouble and even lure disciples and followers away. So he had already given that instruction to the church at Ephesus uh, prior to this letter and said, hey, watch out. These savage wolves, they're going to come in. And, and if you know what wolves do, wolves are pack dogs. 
right? They, um, they're super smart, um, they're super loyal, uh, but they love attention and affection and they're super social. But also when they find something to hunt, they attack it and they wait for it to be weak and they attack it in a pack. And so this image of these savage wolves just coming in and, and taking over the people of God and, and just leading them astray and maybe weak individuals, people who didn't know theology, people who hadn't been Christians very long, people who were fearful for their lives. These were the types of people that, that Paul worried that were gonna be led astray. And so he warned of, of these. It says in Acts 20, 29 to 30, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Now remember, men, women, we're prideful. Uh, we like it when people say, great job, you know, oh, I'm following you, I'm following him. There was already some discord in the church about who you're following. Are you following Paul? Are you following Peter? Are you following, who are you following? Um, and so there was already some discord and people, we have a preference for people, right? We have a preference for certain preachers. We have a preference for certain types of worship music. We have a certain types of delivery of styles of Bible study. We do that. And so um, we can be prideful, but we can also push that pride onto people if we're not careful and remember where the source of their potential, their abilities lie. So Paul's predictions, right, in that Acts 20, in that Acts 20 uh, verse, they didn't take long to come to fruition. It was approximately five years. And so false teaching is like a cancer, right? It's like yeast in the bread where Jesus always spoke about the yeast in the bread and how fast it spread and that was representing sin. Well, here false teaching is like that. It spreads really fast and it needs to be eradicated. And so this is why Paul was writing to Timothy to give him the permission and the encouragement to eradicate these false teachers. So Paul was in Macedonia. He had most likely had just been uh, released from house arrest in Rome and he was traveling somewhere. Now we don't know where he was exactly when this letter was written, but he was out of prison and he was on his way somewhere, um, presumably to get to Timothy in Ephesus. But remember that Paul loved the people he ministered to. He really did, he loved them. And um, he knew the importance of standing on the truth found in God's word, right? First Timothy, second Timothy and Titus are all known as the pastoral epistles. It's there, they have a lot about their, like I said, their responsibilities of pastors, as well as members of the church, anyone who's leading somebody and, and we're all shepherding somebody. So why Timothy? I mentioned earlier that Timothy had traveled with Paul for 13 to 14 years. He had come to a saving faith under Paul's ministry. And um, so he stationed young Timothy in Ephesus to combat the false teaching, as well as some other things going on in the church there. And Paul really wanted Timothy to remain faithful, right? He had trained him up. Um, like us as parents, when we train up our children, we want our children to do well and remain faithful in life. And so we do all we can to encourage them and nurture them and grow them. So real quickly, the background of Ephesus, before we dig into the scripture, Ephesus was a large, diverse, and religiously complex and flourishing city, much like a metropolitan area in the United States. And Artemis' temple was there in Ephesus, and, and that was a cult. And so you can imagine the things that were taking place in that city. Um, magic, sorcery, soothsaying, all of those things. And um, it wasn't inherently Judeo-Christian, right? Timothy faced 
difficulties not only with his own cultural context but also within the church as well so that's really hard it's like a double whammy he's going against culture and going against a church and i mean all of these things are happening so and remember it, it's been said that the church in ephesus may have been one of paul's strongest church plants and one of our best models so it's important there's many issues addressed in the first timothy we'll cover them throughout these sessions and um the first one we'll cover today is the church's doctrine uh, the next one's public worship in chapter two, the church's pastorate, chapter three, the local leadership in chapter four, social responsibility of the church, chapter five, and the church's attitude toward material possess possessions, and that's in chapter six. So what was going on with the church's doctrine? Well, the problem that was they were facing there is... Uh, Remember, this is the early church, and so a lot, all of these, none of these people had long Christian lineages. And so all of them who had just become believers in Christ were still carrying over some of either their Jewish roots or their pagan roots. And so what, what's presumed here is the churches in Ephesus, because of the emphasis that were, they were putting on stuff, is they were very um, Jewish in their assertions. And so the problem that was occurring with these false teachers is they were making fancy stories of old stories and adding to the doctrine of the church. And so they were using these old myths from the Old Testament, genealogies from the Old Testament. They were using all of these things to mix them in with the gospel. Now, the gospel is clear, plain, simple. Um, I read that the gospel can be summed up in nine English words. Jesus Christ came for sinners or came to save sinners um nine words off those words but you know what i mean there's nine words in there you can look them up in my notes later but anyway um but jesus christ came for all for sinners all of us we're all sinners and so he came for that and that was the gospel that was what paul had agreed with the church elders on the foundation of the church that the church was founded on the saving grace of jesus christ and so these new teachers, they were throwing in all these old things that were coming along, not just teaching Old Testament scripture for historical context or for context of prophecies fulfilled or for instruction, but they were just adding to them and, and requiring things of their members that weren't required uh, for salvation. And so they wanted to nip that in the bud right there. And they were just wanted to, Paul wanted to put an end to it because it couldn't continue. Because if you know anything about storytelling, if you've ever sat around a campfire and one person says something and one person's required to add on something and something else and something else, by the time that story gets around this campfire circle, it has changed dramatically from the beginning of the story. And so Paul's fear, all of our fears, should be that if we take anything away from or add anything to the gospel, it changes the gospel message. And this was Paul's concern at Ephesus. So um, we always need to remember that the church was God's idea. It wasn't man's idea. Everything that we do in church, if it's not filtered through the gospel, it doesn't matter. And so we need to remember that. And we always need to stay focused on the gospel. Hugely important. So real quickly, let's read through this First uh, Timothy chapter 1. And I'll read this out loud in case you don't have it accessible to you. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. 
These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that as believers, all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do not do what is right, but it is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother, or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to be a blasp even though I used to blaspheme in the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me. I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious the Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that com comes from Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy say saying, and even one should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. And Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people who have deliberately violated their conscience, as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might not learn, so they might learn not to blaspheme God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just so grateful for your holy word. Lord, we're thankful that you left it here for us so that we could understand your ways and your will. Lord, I thank you for Jesus who did come to die for all sinners. I thank you for his, his life, for his sacrifice for me and for all of those who hear. Lord, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us uh, power and confidence and encouragement. Lord, and that is uh, through the Holy Spirit only that we can understand these words written in the Bible. So Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit is very evident here today, that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts Lord, and lead me in the teaching of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just love digging into the scriptures together. They're so beautiful when we can read them out loud uh, with one another, even though you're here and I'm here, you're there. But um, just together, there's power in his word. So 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 3, real quickly, it's authoritative. Paul says in those words, this is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus. So nine out of the 13 New Testament, Testament letters that Paul wrote designate this apostolic position that he held. Um, Jesus himself appointed Paul. He wasn't appointed by men. He was appointed by Jesus when he had that radical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, I hope that all of you listening have had some sort of radical encounter with Jesus Christ when you've come face to face with the fact that um, everything you thought you knew, you don't know, and, and everything you thought you have, you might not have. And 
and this life, this great life that you thought you had meant nothing unless you have eternal life with Jesus Christ, because that's the most important message here today and in this word that uh, the gospel's for all people. And, and we hope, I hope, that each one of you have received the gospel. Um, and if you haven't, I'd love to have a chat with you, either online or you can email me, whatever. But it's important. That's the most important decision you'll make in your lifetime. So Paul had a radical encounter from God with Jesus, and, and he was appointed. And so God's word is inspired and inerrant. That's what I believe, and, and that's what many believe, that the Bible is inerrant. Um, and it's the solid foundation on which we need to stand. It's where we get our truth. And so the problem with postmodernism, the time that we live in, is that there's no objective truth anymore, and there's no universal eternal truth. It's like, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. And the most prized virtue is tolerance, but the most prized virtue really should be truth. Because if we don't all stand on the common ground of truth, uh, we have no bearings. We have no, we have no ability to say what is right and wrong. Um, so Paul's letter was personal. It was written to Timothy with instruction and urgency, right? It was so important that Paul couldn't wait to get to Timothy. He wanted to talk, send him a letter ahead of time. Um, and it says that we're dealt with an, we're to deal and focus on this hope of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. So the three main points of 1 Timothy, if you break it down into three sections, it's to guard the gospel, celebrate the gospel, and fight for the gospel. So the, the guarding the gospel was Paul's top priority, with, by all means, that was the biggest priority for Paul to convey to Timothy. You are to guard the gospel. And we today are to guard the gospel. Um, we need to make sure that what we're teaching is, is right and what we're hearing is right as well. And so we guard the gospel by the way that we use God's word, which is also God's law. And, and how do we not use God's law? Uh, we don't add to its demands. We don't add myths and genealogies and all these other rules. We don't add um, extra rules that aren't in God's favor. We, we don't tell people that they can't eat certain things, that they can't wear certain things, that, you know, that they can't go certain places. Those sorts of things are, are not in God's word according to the gospel. It's not, we're not a workspace. We're faith, grace-based salvation. And, so, and we must not think the law saves. There's nothing about the law that saves, right? The law actually came to, to destroy and to take us out, really, because we could never fulfill the law, and that's why Jesus had to come. So the law itself never saves. So if anybody ever tells you that being a good person and, and following the Ten Commandments will get you to heaven, they're absolutely wrong, and that's false teaching. And that is the kind of teaching that should not find its way into any church um, and could have found its way into the church at Ephesus. And the wrong use of this law was also producing arrogance and ignorance among the teachers. It says that they were making these confident assertions, and they were making these assertions about stuff they didn't even understand. So know to our current and our future generations, know the Bible and know what's in it. Don't take for granted whatever I'm saying. Don't take for granted whatever a pastor is saying. Don't take for granted whatever a televangelist is saying. Don't, think, don't take those things for granted. Be adamant about saying, no, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to get a copy of God's word. I'm going to read it for myself. I'm going to see what it says. So I know that I'm, I'm being given correct information. And so how can we use God's law then? We need to illustrate God's restraint of sin, his patience. He patiently waited um, to save his people and to offer to all people, not just the chosen people of Israel, but to all people, Gentiles, everybody, the opportunity for salvation. So he was patient. He holds back um, because he could kill us at any moment. Judgment, if he rained down judgment on any of us outside of a relationship with Christ, we could be dead in our sins, dead forever, eternally. 
Um, and the law shows God's condemnation of a sinner, right? If we had no measure of sin, we'd have no need for, for him. No need whatsoever. If we didn't, I mean, sin's not new. Sin goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Today looks bad, but back then, if you read the Old Testament, oh, it was bad back then. So we might have technology today, but they had sin. We have sin. It's all bad. Um, and show God's will for the saved. That's what the law does. God's will for the saved, right? What he wants us to do. It tells us what, what he does. He rewards us with things. Um, so the law's role was really to curb sin in the life of the unbeliever, right? But a right use of the law also produces a responsibility in those who teach. Um, right preaching of the law also produces a love for all those who hear. If you hear the law, and but you if you hear the law and you hear condemnation, you don't hear God's love. You don't hear Christ's love for you. But if person is teaching the gospel, not the law, but the gospel, you're hearing all about Jesus Christ's love for you, for me, for the world, for all those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is here to save us. And so um, the gospel should always share love, not condemnation. And that's huge. That's how we guard teaching the law. Um, and whether we like it or not, the Bible says in Romans 2, 14, 15, that we already know God's law, even if we're ignoring him, even if we're rebelling against him, we, he has inscribed it upon our heart, uh, what is right and what is within his will because he created us. And so uh, we know what's right and wrong. We just make the decision to make wrong choices. <laughs> and hopefully we make more right choices than not. But salvation helps us with those choices and the power of the Holy Spirit. So these were the early, early church, right? They were still learning on the fly and we need to give them grace. And so two practical tests to apply to all teaching. One is the first is the test of faith. Is it from God? Um, is it man's imagination or does it come into agreement with what the word of God says in, in church doctrine? The second test to apply to all teaching is the test of love. Does it produce unity within the church body? If it's, if it's, if it's not unifying, it may not be true. So we need to pay attention to that, right? All teaching should promote the glory of God and the good of the church, the big C church, not just your church. Number two, real fast, because we're running out of minutes. I talk a lot, but uh, real fast, the celebrate the gospel. That's the second point. In the midst of this, in, in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, Paul basically has a worship service is what he does. I don't know about you, but in, sometimes when I'm praying and I'm in time with the Lord and I happen to journal my prayers, I have my requests and I'm giving him adoration. I have him request. And then all of a sudden it turns into this worship service like, Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you, God, for all the gifts that you give to me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health. Thank you for just who you are. Like, thank you that you love the world so much. And, and this is what happens to Paul in these verses in 12 to 17. He is like, man, I was a sinner. I was the worst of them all. I was like the worst of the worst because I was blaspheming God. And God says not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a grievous sin. And so basically Paul was like, I did that. And, and I was killing Christians and I was saying it was okay to kill Christians. And I was just a horrible, horrible man. But God in his grace and his mercy, he saved me. And so Paul was just having a worship service. And so we need to celebrate the gospel. That's our personal testimony. You need to be excited about sharing what God has done in your life. That fact that God has saved you um, and delivered you from whatever it was you were in. Or just the fact that even if you were having a great life, you get to have an even better eternal life now that you know Christ Jesus as your Savior. That's the guarantee that when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, we get to go to heaven. 
how we get to spend all eternity with God the Father. I mean, it's beautiful. He has a place for us when we're saved. And so we need to celebrate the gospel. That's hugely important. When we stop celebrating the gospel within the church or within our, within our sphere of influence, man, that's just such a loss because we, we can't show the love of Christ if we can't really enunciate what he's done for us. We should all have joy on our faces when it comes to the fact that we know Christ, like we are an heir to this beautiful thing. We are in the royal lineage of Jesus the King. I mean, it's amazing. I could sing here all day and talk about that. But third thing, Paul exhorts Timothy. He says, fight for the gospel. That's what you and I need to do. And that's part of why I'm doing this Bible study. We're fighting for the gospel. We're fighting for the fact that some people are teaching this false gospel, gospel that if you you know, God's going to bless you with all this abundance and material things. Or, you know, if you do this, this, and this, then you're going to heaven. No, that's wrong. It's like Christ Jesus came. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He's coming again. And all he says, if you confess with your mouth that I am Lord, you will be saved. You know, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's about Jesus. Lots of people know God and lots of people love God, but they resist or they ignore or they refuse to accept Jesus. And if Jesus didn't, if there was no need for Jesus, we wouldn't have the church. The church is Jesus. It's the gospel. And it's the only reason we have the church. Otherwise, it would be, we'd still be living in Old Testament times. And so we saw Jesus' response um, to the Jewish leaders who refused to believe in him and trust in him and the ones that killed him. We saw what happened. Um, you know, we need eternal life. And so, Paul is saying, you know what? Fight the good fight. Cling to your faith in Christ. Hold tight. Stuff is going to happen. He's warning him. I've already told you stuff is going to happen. There's going to be these false teachers. Well, now here's these false teachers. And now you better keep fighting. Fight for the gospel. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't give in. If somebody tells you something and you're like, okay, well, they seem like they're really smart. And and maybe, maybe I'm not that smart. And maybe... Maybe I'm doing it wrong. No, 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 no. Fight for the gospel, right? We must stay obedient, steadfast, and not allow unconfessed sin to lead, lead us astray. So this um, Hymenus guy that was in here that he refers to, it was pro they, they think it's the same heretic that was teaching that the resurrection already took place, like the new resurrection, um, not just Jesus's resurrection, but the coming resurrection that all people were taken up. He was teaching this crazy doctrine that nobody could follow. But, you know, they were excommunicated from the church in hopes that I'm going to hand you over to Satan so that if I get you out, I can't have you amongst the people right now because you're just not in a good place. So if I get you out and hand you over to Satan, which Satan is, what that statement means that he's not like he sent him down to the fiery pits of hell. He said, I'm going to, Satan lives in the world. So they had to remove those two from the church and put them into the world. Maybe they could be rehabilitated. Maybe they could say, listen, why are you teaching this stuff? Is it because you're prideful and you're pompous and, and you're a little bit arrogant now and you think you're all that? And, and instead of praying before you teach or before you search the gospels, that you're coming up with your own interpretations or your own gospel, whatever it might be. And so they were saying, no, that's it, you're out. And so Timothy, Paul didn't want this to happen to Timothy. Timothy was super frail. He was timid. He was shy. He had some medical conditions. And so Timothy needed encouragement from a strong believer like Paul, who was just all in for the gospel, all in for Christ. And so what does this mean for us? I got like one minute because I think I'm over, but 
application. Ask yourself these questions real fast. You can see my notes on sandalfeet.org later, but ask yourself these questions. How do you guard the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Are there pastors and leaders today leading people away from the gospel, right? Commit to knowing the word of God, that's super important, and preach the gospel to yourself every day. I encourage you to do that. Preach yourself. Be like Paul and in the middle of your prayers, have a worship service. Be like, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Because if you remember the gospel yourself every day, when you go out into the world to do whatever it is you do, whether you take care of your family or you work or whatever, your student, you're going to share that gospel with people. And then also, um, here's the, the gospel in nine English words. Here's it in my notes. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Simple as that, nine words. Second thing, real fast, how often do you remember your testimony? Right? There's power in your testimony. Remember it. Share it. Don't keep it. It's not a secret. Share it. There are people out there who are dying that need to hear your testimony. And then the third thing, what do you do when you see a church leader wandering? What do you do when you see yourself wandering? What do you do? Um, learn from others' mistakes. Oh my, just learn from them. Um, pay attention to they fall, how they fall so you might not do the same. Don't judge them, but don't, don't walk into that way. Um, and stay near to God. That's the biggest thing I could say for you today. Stay near to God. Remember Jesus. And um, that'll get you through. So next week, we're going to cover 1 Timothy chapter 2. Be in prayer for me as I prepare for that. It's a little controversial as it deals with women. So um, I'm going to really lean into the Lord for that one. But I'm so glad you joined me today on this first lunchtime lessons. I'm sorry it went over a couple minutes, but I um, wanted to make sure that I gave a little bit of background on 1 Timothy and like I said, if you want to see all of my notes in writing, because I tend to talk really fast, uh, you can go to sandalfeet.org. If you click on books and Bible studies, it'll be there in a document. You can look under 1 Timothy and click on those, and I'll be posting those weekly. Also, if you want to listen to this back and you're not on Facebook Live for some reason again or watching the video, you can listen to my podcast, and it's there, and you can share that. So I look forward to joining you next week, and I hope you have a blessed week.